That last song we we sang, talking about worshiping from the inside out, um, uh, reminded me of how we we, we constantly remind uh, one another here at Parkview how when you experience God's love and grace uh, found in Jesus, it it makes a difference in, in our lives. It changes us from the inside out. It makes selfish people generous, transforms uh, bitter people into to people of forgiveness and grace. And so we want to talk a little bit more about that whole idea, and I've asked a, uh, someone to come and, and help us through that. He's a professor of theology at Moody Institute down in Chicago. Uh, he is also a member of our Parkview family. He's a leader in our MANA ministry. Uh, he's a friend, a colleague, and it's an honor to, uh, to welcome him here. Uh, give him a round of applause, uh, Dr. Mike McDuffie. Good morning, everyone, at Parkview Community Church. This is where we connect with the God of hope through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Even if you're passing through, you can still connect with the God of hope through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you folk back there leaning on them tables in the gym, People that come to Parkview through Manor Ministry. Good morning to you as well, men and women on the path of life, caught in a moment in between. Best time is when we're in between to connect with the God of hope through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sometimes when we get settled, well, we take being connected for granted. That is a dangerous thing to take God for granted. This morning, I'm going to uh, uh, share some thoughts about forgiveness. Uh, And uh, I need to apologize uh, to you before I even start and ask your forgiveness. Uh, Because in the bulletin, it refers to Genesis uh, chapter 30 as, as, as the passage. Actually, I'm going to be walking through the whole story of Joseph and his brothers. Of course, you've seen the multicolored coat, multi-splendor colored whatever, still playing somewhere, coat, theater, Broadway, in Chicago, forever play. (laughs) So you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Joseph and how his brothers uh, sold him into slavery. And that story of forgiveness goes from Genesis 37 all the way to the end of the book, Genesis 50. And I'm going to be stitching together our portions of that story in a narrative form to give us opportunity to uh, think about uh, where we stand with the Lord of forgiveness. Now, the love that was given me in my home of birth was delivered with a lot of anger. Uh, Many times uh, we would hear uh, our mother, my dear mom, Uh, make reference to the Holy Family uh, whenever anything went wrong. In an exasperated voice, she'd say, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. (laughs) She'd do this when the washing machine fluttered over. She'd do this when we broke something. And as is often the case in a family of eight kids... Uh, when uh, something went missing or something didn't get done. Now, of course, that's not right to uh, uh, use the Lord's name in that manner 
And uh, our anger never brings about the righteousness of God. But I can hear her saying that to this day. My dad, he never said anything in particular when he was angry. My dad was always angry. So whatever he was saying. Uh, that, and um, he died in 1994. As far as I know, he, he didn't know the Lord when he died. I can remember just a couple of years ago, when I was over 60, caught myself laughing. Couldn't believe it sounded just like my dad. And then I was cut to the quick. Because I realized how little, how rare was the time when I heard my dad laugh while I was growing up. Only then did I realize how rare it was to hear him laugh. I I had no idea why this was the case. I have no idea today, when I first thought about it a couple of years ago, why? what burdens did he carry? Why was he so filled with anger? I haven't a clue. Beyond that, I haven't a clue as, in, in, as to how and in what ways or to what degree my mother and father, as well as six sisters and brother, shaped the habits of my heart, formed my uh, personality, influenced how I uh, walk with the Lord, affect how I interact with others. It's all in me. Now, how could I know those things? Am I in the place of God? I've followed Jesus for over 35 years. The whole time he has been teaching me that I am forgiven. His love is mine. He loves me. And that his forgiveness frees me from all unnecessary fear. And frees me from being held hostage to anger or bitterness or guilt or envy. The main point of what I want to share this morning is simply this. Forgiveness begins and ends with God. He wants us to rest in his forgiveness. He wants uh, to be the Lord of forgiveness in our lives. And he wants us to share his forgiveness with one another. I want us to ask ourselves this morning, where do we see the God of forgiveness in our lives? Do we see ourselves in the place God has put us? Do we see him as the Lord of forgiveness over this place? Do we see him as the Lord of forgiveness over our past, over our lives today? And do we trust him as such in that place where we will find ourselves tomorrow? Now, in the Bible, uh, we first hear of forgiveness near the end of the story of Joseph. (laughs) Our oldest son, when he was four, uh, he had a a friend uh, named Joseph from Korea. But our dear oldest son could not pronounce that name. That family tried to teach him. We tried to teach him. But he'd always call Joseph Gophus. We say, no, Jason, it's it's not Gophus. It's Joseph. Joseph. Jason's. Jason would go, ch, 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 gophus. <laughs> the story of Joseph and how he, how, he, uh, how he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Now we know how, what happens. This results in him becoming uh, the most powerful man in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh the king. I hope a look at this story of Joseph this morning gives us a little time to think about the God of forgiveness in our lives. So, after their father Jacob had died, Joseph's brothers said, oh man, 
They had been in uh, Egypt about 17 years ago. What if, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and, and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? These would be wrongs that were done 40 years ago. Uh, the brothers suspected that Joseph had been lenient with them during their stay in Egypt only because Jacob was still alive. Now that he was dead, they didn't trust Joseph would continue to care for them or for their families. They did not trust God. They pushed the God of forgiveness out of the, out of the picture. If we don't give God his rightful place in our lives, then we will see everyone and everything in terms of keeping scores and settling scores. Just like Joseph's brothers. Deep-seated feelings of ill will, fear, and envy will cause us to believe others harbor grudges against us that aren't even real. Just like Joseph's brothers. Our life will become nothing more but just one long grudge match. A series of them. God's grace can free us of these things if we yield to him. If we give the God of forgiveness rule over our lives. And trust him to look out for us. Joseph's brothers didn't. They were trapped in their own fears. They were trapped in their own guilt. And so what they chose to do was to replace God's protection with a lie of their own making. With their lie, they sought to force from Joseph the forgiveness he had already given them. They sent word to Joseph, telling him, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. It almost sounds like a contract sign here. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph knew as well as they did that the message was a lie. Joseph weeps for his brothers over how little they loved him. And he weeps for his brothers over how little they trust God. Their fear for their brother avenging himself was stronger than their confidence in God. That he would protect them and that he would provide them all their needs. They came and threw themselves down before Joseph. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but, the God, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This exchange uh, uh, brings to a close the story of Joseph being uh, sold into slavery uh, by his uh, brothers near the end of Genesis. Uh, the beginning of that story goes back to before Joseph's birth and extends through uh, his entire life, uh, beginning as a young man. Looking to before Joseph's birth stresses the phrase Joseph said to his brothers, am I in the place of God? I wonder how many times Joseph and his brothers heard their father use that phrase with anger. Am I in the place of God? We can't know. Text doesn't tell us. We do know, however... This is the very thing he said to Joseph's mother, Rachel, when she complained about not having any children. Jacob became angry with her, the Bible tells us, and he said to her, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Now, the, the second part of the, uh, 
way this story closes, reminds us that Joseph's brothers hated him as a young man of 17. Back to Genesis 37. So much so that they could not speak a kind word to him. They were jealous of Joseph because Jacob loved him more than any of them. Jacob had uh, made for Joseph a richly ornamented coat or robe. So wherever he went, he could put on display how much more his father loved him than all his brothers. When his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now here, at the close of the story, Genesis 50, some 40 years later, Joseph answers his brothers not by calling them out on their lie, but by turning an angry phrase used by their father into words of comfort based on confidence in God's watch care over them and their families. Joseph reminds them that God holds place of rule over their lives. Joseph accepts and relies upon God as being in charge of his life. He replaces their hatred for him with his love for them. He returns kind words for their unkind ones. He teaches his brothers the loving truth of forgiveness by living it, by overcoming evil, by doing good. But he does not take any credit for it. His kind words and his promise to care, to care for them and their children are grounded in his assurance that God has put him where he is. Joseph willingly yields to God's full authority over his life in this place. Joseph trusts God to fulfill his good purpose through whatever happens. Now Joseph had learned these lessons of trust and forgiveness the hard way, coming out of a terribly dysfunctional family in which all its relationships were completely out of joint. His own brothers conspired to murder him. They then settled upon stripping him of his robe and throwing him into a water cistern to die. When the opportunity availed itself, they instead sold him into slavery. To hide the hardened cruelty with which they had treated their little brother, they inflicted it upon their father. They dipped Joseph's robe in goat's blood took it to their father, telling him, we found this, examine it and see whether it's your sons. They didn't say our brothers. Jacob recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. As they did their brother into a water cistern, they just as callously dropped their father into their lie. Their father Jacob mourned the loss of his son, he refused to be comforted, saying, In mourning I will go down into the grave to my son. So Jacob wept for Joseph. Jacob had given up. Instead of looking up to the God of promise, he looked down. He saw the grave as his purpose in life, and his view was dragging his children down with him. We need to ask ourselves this morning, which way are we looking? Today, in our lives, are we bearing grief and grudges on our own? Or do we see ourselves in the place of God, where he has put us? And do we trust God, God of grace? Joseph, of course, was not dead. In Egypt, he was sold to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the, the captain of the guard. The Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. 
God gave Joseph success in everything he did. Upon seeing this, Potiphar entrusted Joseph with everything that he owned. Because he did so, Joseph, uh, as he was in God's favor, uh, resulted in Potiphar having blessing over all that he had. The Bible says Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph. The text says he was good looking. And she was sexually attracted to him. She tries to seduce him, saying, come to bed with me. It's the way Joseph handles this temptation that we learn about how uh, Joseph refuses to frame his life without having God uppermost in the picture. Up to this point in the text, if we read from 37 all the way up to this point, there is not any mention of God. In sharp contrast to this, Joseph sees his whole life exclusively in view of his relationship with God. He refuses Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's wife and says to her, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are, my wa- uh, you are his wife. Now, what could Joseph have said next? He could have said, how then could I do such a wicked thing? And how, after all he has done for me, could I do this wrong against your husband? But he doesn't say that. If he had said that, he would have lied against the order of his heart and his outlook on life. Joseph saw everything happening to him as an outworking of what God was doing as the Lord of his life. So what does Joseph say to Potiphar's wife? How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph was telling Potiphar's wife, I am in the place God put me, and I will not sin against him in this place. Now, this didn't stop Potiphar's wife from trying to get Joseph to come to bed with her. She became so insistent that she caught Joseph by his coat and literally tried to drag him into bed with her. Joseph ran out of the house, leaving his coat in her hand. Potiphar's wife accused him of sexual assault. Potiphar became so enraged over hearing the story that he throws Joseph in prison. But here, too, God was with Joseph. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put Joseph in charge of everything and everyone because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Away from his family and on his own, Joseph entrusted himself to God. He endured imprisonment and conditions of injustice without complaint. Understanding God was in charge of his life. In the performance of his duties, he was assigned attending uh, to uh, two new prisoners, two officials of the pharaoh, one being the official uh, cupbearer and the other being the official chief uh, baker. And one night, these two officials uh, have uh, each their own dream, and each dream had its own meaning. The next morning, when uh, Joseph comes uh, to attend to them, uh, he sees that uh, uh, they are uh, dejected, and he said, why are you so sad today? Well, we both had dreams, they tell him, but there's no one uh, uh, to interpret them. Then Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Joseph was telling them that this God who gives dreams and owns their interpretations was the Lord over his life, that he had a special connection with him, a personal relationship and way of living that kept him close and in touch with this God. He was telling them that for them, he was a person standing in the place of God. 
If they told him the dreams God gave them, he was confident God would give him the interpretations. We want to just for a minute wonder about that because when Joseph was uh, 17, uh, he also had two dreams. God owned the interpretations of these dreams as well, yet there is no record of anyone in his family directing him to the God who owned those interpretations. When uh, he shared his first dream with his brothers, they hated him even more. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to you, bow down to the ground before you? At home, the Jacob family portrait did not include God in the picture. To his family, Joseph was the dreamer. His, his dreams made his brothers jealous, and his father kept the matter in mind. No family member was there for Joseph in the same way he was for these two strangers. With the cupbearer and the baker, both of the interpretations Joseph had given came true. Later, the pharaoh had two dreams that, that no one could interpret. Upon his hearing uh, of Joseph, he immediately summoned him into his presence. Joseph said to, uh, excuse me, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Immediately, Joseph sets the record straight. He makes it clear to Pharaoh, I do not have any power uh, to interpret a dream, uh, and to interpret a dream is fully beyond me. However, with the admission, I cannot do it, Joseph adds, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph explains the meaning of the dreams to Pharaoh telling him that God has shown him what he is about to do, that there will be harvests of abundance in the land for seven years, followed by seven years of famine. He further explains uh, that the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will surely do it soon. Pharaoh heeds Joseph's advice that, they, uh, that he should select a wise and discerning man to be in charge of, of land and harvest, and he appoints uh, Joseph to the task, and that's how Joseph came uh, to be uh, in service of the uh, Pharaoh of, uh, uh, of Egypt over all the land. And that was when he was 30 years old. Now, about eight years later, Jacob uh, sends his sons uh, down to Egypt to buy grain so they won't starve to death. This is because the way that Joseph interpreted the dream uh, is fulfilled. What he foretold has come to pass. Now, when they arrive, Joseph recognizes his brothers, but he pretends to be a stranger and speaks harshly to them. It's at this point the Bible tells us that Joseph remembered his dreams. And with remembering them, he says to his brothers, you're spies. You're spying out the land to find out the defenses of Egypt. His brothers deny it. They insist they are honest men, uh, saying they are uh, 12 uh, sons. They were 12 sons of one man, with the youngest son now with his father still in Canaan, and one is no more. Joseph insists that they must approve their honesty by returning to Canaan to bring their youngest brother to him while he keeps one brother in prison. Oh, you know, if you think about it, at this moment, this, he could so gloat. What a gutcha moment. Uh, here they are before him. If he was embittered and he was bound by a grudge all those years, this is more than 13 years now, 
maybe uh, this is what, 20, uh, 13, uh, he becomes a uh, 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 lord of the land over, uh, uh, and then uh, seven years, what's that? That's 21. You already saw in the bulletin, I'm not too good with math. I, these numbers get me. But we're talking over, uh, there's 20, that's 21 years, and then there's the famine started, that's at least one year or two, that's 21, 22. All those years, what if he was embittered? What if he was held with a grudge? Oh, didn't I tell you those many years ago about my dreams of how you'd bow down before me? Payback, baby. Ha! How sweet it is. And I don't even need a double, a, a double dose. I've got you with one. Oh, he doesn't do it. It's amazing he doesn't do it. Without them realizing Joseph uh, could understand them, he listens to them speaking to one another in Hebrew about their uh, being punished because of what they did to Joseph. They remembered how distressed he was and how he had pleaded with them uh, for his life, but they wouldn't listen. It was because they didn't, they conclude, that they were now in the pickle that they found themselves in. They were in a swell mess. And oh, how their sin haunted them. Just like them. If we shut God out of our life, then we wrap ourselves in our own sin and we'll smother ourselves in our own guilt. And God's forgiveness gives us the freedom to seek forgiveness from those we have wronged. Now, it's at this point in the story, the Bible describes a new experience for Joseph. Something happens to Joseph that had never happened before. For the first time in his entire life, Joseph hears a brother of his speak a tender word in his behalf. A kind one. A kind word as his advocate. His big brother Reuben rebukes his brothers, saying, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? Upon hearing Reuben stand up for him, Joseph turned away and he began to weep. God's forgiveness awakens in us the love required for forgiving those who have wronged us. This first stirring of love among these alienated brothers becomes the means God will use to restore and strengthen their father's faith, Jacob's faith, and the God of his fathers, and in God's promises. After this, Joseph holds Simeon in Egypt and lets the others go with the grain they had purchased. At a rest stop on their way back to Canaan, one brother discovers his silver payment was still in his sack. Oh, boy. Now the lord of the land who suspects us of spies as being spies can now accuse us of being thieves. Their hearts sank. And they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? And if you go from 37 and read all the way forward uh, to 42, this is the first time the brothers mention God in their lives. This is a work of God. It takes time. We need to trust our Lord for patience and compassion to restore and to be reconciled with one another. It doesn't happen with a snap of a finger. But, oh, the Lord wants to bring it about in our lives. And he will. And he is. And he does. This marks the first time the brothers make any mention of seeing God evolved in their lives. When they came to their father Jacob, they told him everything that had happened. How the man who was lord over the land allowed them to take food for their starving households, but held Simeon as a guarantee for their meeting the condition he demanded of them, that they must bring their youngest brother to him so he will know that they are not spies, but honest men. Each brother empties his sack of grain, and what do they find out? 
that each of them has their sack of silver in their pouch. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Jacob becomes completely undone. He accuses his sons of depriving him of his children. His life is becoming a nightmare. His family is falling apart. And Jacob falls into despair. He cries out, everything he laments is against me. Jacob, the patriarch, could not bring to mind the blessing of his father Isaac. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. He could not turn to God, who said to him in a dream, His descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and all the peoples on earth would be blessed through him and his offspring. And how the Lord, the God of his father Abraham, and the God of Isaac promised he would be with him and watch over him wherever he went and would not leave him until he had done what he had promised. Even his limp and the fact that he had to lean on a staff to walk with every step would not remind him of how he wrestled with the angel of God who gave him the name Israel because he struggled with God and struggled with men and overcome. God had even spoken to Jacob, saying to him, I am the God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will also give to you. And I will give this land to you and to your descendants after you. But Jacob was too heartbroken to remember these things or to talk to God. He could not turn to God because he could not see God anywhere in his life. Everything he laments is against me. With his family still fighting against famine, he was unable to say, don't be afraid. We are in God's place. God will provide for you, my children, and for your children. He could not reassure them, and he could not speak kindly to them. We all suffer such moments in life. For the good he intends, God determines their cause, their number, and their duration. When these moments come, may the Lord remind us of how he stepped into our lives, made himself known to us, called us to his salvation, and invited us to enter into a personal relationship with him through faith in our Lord Jesus. If you're not here this morning and you don't know God through a personal relationship with Jesus, I only want to say that God had a reason for bringing you here. And he only had one reason. God wants you to know that he loves you. God has forgiven you. You are forgiven. God demonstrates his own love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You may receive forgiveness in his name, He speaks to the Father in your defense, and the Father of forgiveness listens to his Son. You do have somebody on your side. You do have an advocate. You do have a big brother. It is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, your sins, and for the sins of the whole world. Turn to him. Talk to him. He will listen to you. And if you are honest with him and trust him to do so, he will heal you. 
We haven't time to go through the rest of the story of Joseph to close the gap between this lowest point of despair in Jacob's family history to the time when God restores Jacob's faith and brings Joseph back to him and makes sure his family is safe and provided for under Joseph's rule in the land of Egypt. But it's like that for you and me this morning too, isn't it? We're still in the midst of our struggles. Every family has its troubles. Our family has stored its secrets in us. We all bear family scars. As much as each of us is responsible for our actions and must be self-concerned, equally, too, we have had a hand at shaping the habits and the hearts of those around us and closest to us. Our influence is not always positive. We fail to do what we know is right. And all of us stumble in many ways. Our lack of faith in God inflicts unnecessary fear and disappointment in others. As children, we experience troubled and tragic events in family surroundings. We never fully understand what has happened to us. We've no idea how all this shapes our personalities or the ways we respond to one another. How can we? Are we in the place of God? We grow up, some of us marry, some unions hold together, some don't. We have children, and again, without fully realizing what is going on, we unleash or trigger through our actions, both good and bad, insecurities and uncertainties in those closest to us, in our spouses and in our children. In the midst of all this, we need to ask ourselves, do we believe we are in the place God has put us? We cannot understand how this all works or how it all works out. The good news is that the God of forgiveness is with us, and he knows. He tells us, don't be afraid. He will provide for us and our children. For his forgiveness is a family affair, and we are his family. He loves us. And he wants us to trust him to help us live the gift of forgiveness we have received from him through faith in his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. He has freed us from the prison cells of guilt, fear, grudges, bitterness, anger, and despair. He gives us the grace to forgive others and to receive their forgiveness. May we trust the God of forgiveness to guide us in living out this lifestyle of forgiveness, which is so crucial to good family relationships and for encouraging the saints here at Parkview and for building up the body of Christ.